is the Sports Psychology Hour with Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I cannot express the gratitude what my son came and visited you. Dr. Jacobs has been in practice for 37 years as a sports psychologist. I have seen a change in youth sports in the last 10, 15 years. I've talked about it a lot on this show. The Sports Psychology Hour. The best advice on the radio each and every week. Failure and losing and screwing up is something that happens in life. It happens in sports. And I think we have to teach kids how to do that more effectively. This is where sports talk gets real. That word playing, it's gone from our society in a lot of ways with kids. And now here's your host, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Good morning, everybody. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I'm here every week talking about the mental side of sports. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. Look forward to doing the show with you each week as we talk about mindsets, attitudes, focus, preparation, sportsmanship, all the different topics that are the foundations and backbones of what it takes to be successful in sports beyond the physicality of it. You know, I always like to say you can have two athletes who are physically the same, but the one with a stronger mind will be the one who will come out on top. So how do you develop a stronger mind? What do you have to do to get stronger mentally? Part of it is self-confidence. Part of it's your background. Part of it's how you were trained. But part of it also is the coaching that you get. And here we are in 2021. It's May. And one of the things we're starting to see change in sports is the influx of women coaching men. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to get into this topic today. But before I get started, it is my son Gregory's 30th birthday today. So I am wishing Gregory Brett Jacobs, named after George Brett, a happy 30th birthday. Love you, son. Hope you're having a good day. I know sometimes he does listen to the show in New York where he lives. So hopefully he's up and listening. Happy birthday, son, I love you. Anyway, today's show is about women who coach men. Why does it happen? How does it happen? Why isn't it happening more? And we're gonna be joined in our second and third segments with Dr. Nicole Lavoie. She will be talking with us about this. She is an expert in this area. She's the director of the Tucker Center for Research on Girls and Women in Sport and a senior lecturer at the School of Kinesiology at the University of Minnesota. We'll be asking her some of these questions and talking with her about it. You know, coach is a director, a guide, a psychologist, a disciplinarian, but a coach is someone who should have knowledge. We are now seeing more and more women coaching men. Now, I know a lot of people don't like it. A lot of people don't like it. Why don't women coach males te- male teams? Well, a lot of people say women didn't play professional football. They didn't play college football. Well, there are women's leagues in a lot of sports. They're just as capable of men as coaching, and sometimes they can bring a different perspective from it. Now, should coaches, female coaches, be allowed in, in locker rooms of professional athletes? I think there's a time for any coach to be allowed in a locker room, and there's a time for a coach to not be allowed in a locker room. That's an issue a lot of people have. Well, you can't have a woman in a men's locker room. This is an issue that we're starting to see more and more. There are female coaches in the NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball. Throughout my career, 
in the 40 years I've worked as a sports psychologist, I've been around many female coaches who've coached men's teams. One who I work with very closely was Sue Navarro Reaper. She was USA women's cycling coach. Back in the 1980s, I worked with her, and she coached a lot of the men. She had a tremendous amount of experience coaching and experience as a rider, so why wouldn't she be capable of coaching anybody, male or female? Well, she should be. So we're seeing more and more women coaching men. You know, if we sit down and think about it, if you go through looking at youth sports teams, lots of women are coaching young boys. Lots of women coach high school boys teams. Why doesn't that happen more and more? Well, we're seeing a change in that now, just like we see changes in so many things in our society today. And I think it's a positive thing. So Dr. Lavoie will be joining us discussing that and in our last segment today, Marjorie Sherrard will be joining us. She coaches the Empire Swim Team here in Kansas City, coaches boys and girls. I've known Marjorie since the 1980s when she was a swimmer at the University of Kansas. She's a wonderful person and a wonderful coach. What do women bring into coaching? Sometimes that men don't have. Sometimes there's the, I think the, the psychological issue, the more understanding issue, the communication sometimes is better. There isn't the harshness. There's more, I've seen many times, and this isn't the case across the board, but many times a lot of women who coach tend to be better listeners. Then tend oftentimes maybe more empathetic. Of course, then you get people saying, oh, that's that's because people aren't, you know, they're not tough enough. I've seen women who coach who can be very tough. So it comes down to a respect issue. A respect issue. And in our society today, as we see so many changes Society's opening up to so many different things. What's wrong with a woman coaching a man's sports team? You know, one of the first women to do this in modern times is Nancy Lieberman, who coached back in the NBA. They had or the three-on-three uh, -three men's basketball. Now you're seeing, I know, Becky Hammond coached in the, M in the NFL. There's now a female general manager for the Miami Marlins. Why not? So I'd love to hear from you if you have a comment on this. Our number is 913 913-3810-810. So I'm going to ask my producer, Blake, who played football, played sports growing up, the high school and collegiate level, what he thinks about this. So, Blake, let me ask this question. You're a tough guy, even at 6, 12 in the mornings. <laughs> How would you have felt if a woman had been coaching you playing football? Well... I haven't had a woman ever coach me play football, so that is a weird one to think about, but I have had a woman coach in basketball. So that's really the only thing I can liken an experience to is, is through basketball. Um, what, I think, what level was that? What level was that? At? I was, uh, I was in, in grade school, so it was pretty low level. I was in 7th and 8th grade, I believe. And she was great. Her name's uh, Joni Nockbar. She was a really good basketball coach over there at St. Joseph grade school, and she knew her stuff, and we were really good. So uh, I had no problem being led, you know, however you want to put it, being led by a woman on guided, the basketball court. Guided, directed, instructed, coached. Exactly. Led. I mean, instructed, taught. I mean, and I really wasn't that great of a basketball player then, but I became one after. She worked directly with me, actually, uh, you know, after most practices. So, um 
on the football field, I think it, I think it'd be a little odd. Um, well, I only be, say that it would be odd. It would be different. It'd be it'd be a change. Yeah, it would be something that I am just not used to. Um, it's a di- totally different sport. Basketball, the it applies both ways. Women's basketball and men's basketball, the rules are all the same. Everybody's everybody can pretty much if you can shoot, you can shoot. If you can dribble, you can dribble. In football, it's a little different. Um, I don't know how I would have felt. I don't think I probably would have said, oh, you know, tossed my hands up and said, this is stupid, blah, 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 blah. I think it would have taken a lot of time to get used to if I could have. Well, you're open-minded to things. But, see, you just brought up exactly why that's that's an issue. Well, in football, uh, see, there's that hesitation. Yeah. It's a men's sport. It's a hot. It's a yeah. hard sport. So there are there have been women's professional leagues. Oh yeah, I actually I've actually covered women's professional leagues. We have a, a team here in Kansas City, the Kansas City Titans, women's semi-professional football team. And you know what? I've gone to a couple of games, done some film work for them, and so I've gotten to watch them on their level. Now, granted, they had majority men coaches, um, so it, you know it's it's they didn't I didn't see a whole lot of women coaching the women, which I thought was a little odd. Well, we're seeing a change. And I think it's a healthy change. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. If someone's knowledgeable about what they're doing, it shouldn't matter if they're male or female. Now, I understand why a lot of men would have a hesitancy in football with a woman coaching them. I understand it because it's sort of, a, I think you can say it's probably a sexist thing. For a lot of people, it would be that way. But obviously, if, if a woman is knowledgeable about the sport, understands it, and played it at their own level, why not? So when I was in college, we I had a women's strength and conditioning coach as well. Again, when you're around that field, and I think it, it, it all just kind of depends on who you are, because I again I had no problem with this with a woman teaching me how to lift weights or, or teaching me how to get better and become stronger or anything like that. So there is a weird, I think, disconnect that people add on to the sport of football. Whether it's, oh, it's too physical, whether there's a lot of different things. Um, it's just something I don't know how I'd react because I haven't experienced it. And there you go. You just hit it on the head. I don't know how I'd react because I haven't experienced it. Yeah. That's the thing. So change is good. Change is good. You know, we're seeing, and, and, and regarding sports, you just mentioned strength and conditioning coaches, athletic trainers. You know, there, there are tons and tons of female athletic trainers, tons and tons of female strength and conditioning coaches. You know, the University of Kansas had Andre Hootie as their strength and conditioning coach for years. She's now at the University of Texas with the basketball team. Strength and conditioning coaches, lots of them are female. Lots of them are just as capable. Most of them are, well, they are just as capable as men. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. We're talking about why women should be capable and able of coaching men. And joining us next will be Dr. Nicole Lavoy from the University of Minnesota. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development. Our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. 
If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com slash radio. That's winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by End Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello again, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and I'm really excited about this interview. Joining us is Dr. Nicole Lavoy. She's from the University of Minnesota. She has an expertise working with women in coaching. She's written a book about it. She does all kinds of research in it, and I'm, I'm really excited to have her with us this morning talking about this because, you know, as, as I mentioned in our first segment, women are more involved in coaching men now than ever before. You're seeing a huge influx of female coaches at all the professional sports levels, Major League Baseball, the NFL, the NBA. So, Nicole, thanks for joining us this morning. I really appreciate you being here. 
Yeah, it's my pleasure. And uh, thanks for having me to talk about an area that I'm very passionate about. Yes, you are. So tell us about that. How did you get involved in this? And tell us, you know, why it's growing as it is so much right now. You're one of the people really who knows more about this than anybody. Sure. My passion for researching and doing coaching education for women in sport coaching comes from my background of being a coach. I was a collegiate tennis coach and a USPTA teaching pro for a number of years. And what I experienced as a young female coach, um, I didn't know it at the time, but I was experiencing a lot of sexism from my male colleagues and also was noticing that there was really a lack of coaching education at that time for teaching former collegiate athletes like myself how to coach um, the old model of, well, I played the sport, I can coach it didn't seem to be working in my opinion. So I got really interested in the intersections of gender coaching and how we can train coaches to be better so that more young people, particularly girls and women would have a better sport experience. What do you think has been one of the big motivators for so many women now getting involved in professional sports at, at, with males? Why do you think we're seeing the change now and the acceptance of women? Because, you know, I know Throughout my life, working in, in this field for 40 years and watching my sons grow as they did, they're now 31 and 30. But, you know, there are a lot of women that coach boys teams when my kids were playing youth sports. So why are we seeing the change now at this level? Because to me, it, it only makes a lot of sense, quite frankly. I think it's important that we back up just a little bit to provide some context. So in 1972, we'll go way back. <laughs> When Title IX, the federal civil rights law was passed that made gender discrimination in our schools illegal, 1972, you know, we had one in 27 girls playing sports. Now it's one in two and a half. So participation went sky high. That was almost 50 years ago. We're coming up on the 49th anniversary this summer and the 50th anniversary in 2022. So we've had 50 years of girls and women playing sports. In 1972, we had 90% of girls and women being coached by women. And about 2% of boys and men were coached by women. Let's fast forward to current day. Excuse me one second. Who, what, what were the sports that women were coaching males in at that point? Typically then and now, it hasn't really changed at all, is we see women coaching track and field, cross country, tennis, and swimming and diving. We're not seeing women coaching baseball, football, hockey, wrestling. So that statistic from 1972, fast forward to 2021, and the Tucker Center for Research on Girls and Women in Sport, which I am the director, we have an annual women in college coaching report card. So I'm very familiar with this data. So in 2021, about 43% of collegiate women are being coached by women, and still about three to four percent of college men are being coached by women. So what we've found is that the percentage of women coaching women has gone down and the percentage of women coaching men has remained very stagnant at around three to four percent. So, so to answer your question, right? So why do we see more women going into coaching professional men? That's a really interesting question. Um, and I'm happy to answer that, but I, I think you had a comment. No, go ahead, go ahead with that. I want, to, I want to see what your opinion is on that. Yeah, so if I'm coaching and I'm a woman, 
my male colleagues have a dual career pathway to coach both men and women. So the majority of coaches for male and female athletes are men. Okay. Most of the money, the big money, is on the men's side, specifically basketball and football at the collegiate level. And on the men's pro side, men's pro coaches make, I'm going to venture a guess, a lot more than the pro coaches for women's soccer, hockey, WNBA, uh, softball. So if I'm a knowledgeable, competent female coach, and I want to be paid what I'm worth, and be paid for what I know, just the same as my male colleagues, I'm going to the men's side because I can make a lot more money. And so I think there's that component, but there's also the recognition on the men's pro side that these women are really good at what they do and they can add value. And if we want the best talent to coach our men, and we only are looking at men to coach men, we're missing out on 50% of talent that could actually make us better. And that's what's happening now. How you develop a stronger mind to me doesn't have to do with the sex of the person coaching them. It has to do with the knowledge of the person coaching. And Absolutely. I've, I've, I've worked with, with dozens of female coaches who, quite frankly, were, were you know, just as knowledgeable, if not more knowledgeable than a lot of the male coaches I've worked with. But there's a stigma, I know, at the professional level, having worked with many professional teams, men's professional teams specifically, they don't want females in the, in the locker room. Well, it's one excuse that's given a lot to not provide women the opportunity to coach when they're qualified to do so, is that this whole, like, who's in what locker room comes up because it's a way to um, prevent women from gaining access to coaching men. In my opinion, no coaches should be in any locker room male or female, like just that is the athlete space, the coaches, men's coaches of women, women's coaches of men, men of men and women of women, like the coach, just stay out of the locker room to have the team room. There's other spaces for coaches to interact with athletes. So I wholeheartedly reject the idea that we can't have women doing any certain job, coaching, reporting, athletic training, because they shouldn't be in the locker room. That's just a, a, a thin veil of excuse to exclude women from positions of power in sport. That's an interesting perspective. And quite frankly, I agree with you on that. I'm sports psychologist, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Joining me today is Dr. Nicole Lavoie from the University of Minnesota. She's an expert in women in sport, women in coaching and sport. Having a fascinating interview, we're going to come back in our last segment with her talking about this. I'm sports psychologist, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive, realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development. Our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com radio. That's winnersunlimited.com radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com radio. 
America. Your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Neil Armstrong waited six hours and 39 minutes to step onto the surface of the moon. Jackie Robinson waited 20 months to play his first game with the Brooklyn Dodgers. And even DiCaprio had to wait 22 years to win an Oscar. You can wait until your destination. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just gotta hold on and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up. Hold my hand. (laughs) No, you hold my hand. Here we go. (laughs) Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Well, again, everyone, I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Joining me is Dr. Nicole Lavoy from the University of Minnesota. We're having a really fascinating interview about females in sport, especially in coaching. And we're seeing, as I said earlier in our last segment, this, this change. There are so many women now coaching in, in men's professional sports. And as I mentioned, we have, we have a female general manager in baseball. How do you, why do you think it's taken so long for that to happen? Well, why, why has there been a change in this now? And why has it taken this long for, for women to be coaching men at the professional level? Quite simply, they haven't been given the opportunity. Probably more reasons I could talk about than we have time for. But to make it very simple is that The change has happened because the men at the top of these professional leagues, the men in power, have provided opportunities for quality, competent, amazing women 
to coach men. Without male allies at the top providing opportunity, this doesn't happen. So I wanna give just a quick case study. So when Becky Hammond was hired by the Spurs, by Greg Popovich, who was arguably one of the game's best coaches, they've won multiple NBA championships. He's highly regarded as one of the best. When he hires Becky Hammond, this is not a gimmick. He's doing it because she has talent and he sees that she can help his team. And, and, if Greg, and, he's, and he's a coach with tremendous vision. He's a man absolutely. who his background, you know, he coached at the Claremont Colleges. He came from there, he, which is one of the top schools in the country. He's a guy who has the vision of understanding things. I know the general manager, R.C. Buford, was a graduate assistant at the University of Kansas when I was there. And, and, and he as well also is someone who is open-minded to things. So, so continue, go, go ahead. Yeah, so when Popovich hires Becky Hammond as his assistant, this sort of sent shockwaves through the league, like, well, if he can do it and they're the best, we can also do it. So back then, I think it was 2012 when he hired Hammond, there was one female assistant. I think current day, the last count, and I could be wrong, but it's 11. 11 well, I saw, women I saw research assistants. lately, it's 12, yeah. It's 12, okay, 12, right. great. More the merrier. <laughs> but what we're seeing is that when you give women the opportunity, they will be great. And that's all this is about, is providing the opportunity for women to coach men. One of the, one of the changes, and, and I talk on this show all the time about coaching, about a good coach is a good psychologist, a bad coach needs a sports psychologist. Good coaches are good listeners. You know, a coach is a guide, but a coach is a psychologist. Like I said, a coach has to be understanding, caring, and not to sound too sexist as I'm a man and you're a woman here, but doesn't a woman bring a different perspective as far as coaching with, with, with their athletes in terms of maybe understanding a little bit deeper how they're feeling more so than some male coaches will? We're seeing a change in that type of coaching now, more from the, the you know, go after it, you know, knock them dead. Let's, let's instead of that type of perspective, Let's see how you can perform to your potential type of thing, more so than the overly aggressive type of coaching style. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's important to note that there, in general, when we sort of apply this lens of gender bias onto coaches, if we assume that, yes, women do have a different perspective because of the society we're in and the experiences we've had. But I think it's important to note that not all women are, you know, more relational and caring and kind and nurturing. And that all men are not autocratic, yelling, awful, you know, dictatorial type coaches. Is that we have men that are caring and kind and relational and nurturing as well. Those we don't really talk about that very much. And that we also, so it's a spectrum. And if you want the best coaching staff, you want diversity of perspectives. That means racial diversity, gender diversity sexual identity diversity. And so that's why adding women to coaching staffs is important because they provide a different perspective. Not that they're always going to be kind, caring, and nurturing, and that's not their job is to be the player's mother. <laughs> their well, job right, is that, to be a, the job is to be a coach and whatever skills that she brings to the table that complements the existing coaching staff is important. Do you feel that female, you know, I was, I've talked for years as well on, on this whole aspect of coaching. A good coach is a good listener. A good mm -hmm. coach is someone who's going to take the time instead of talking at their athletes to discuss with them. And I've, I've worked for so many years with so many different coaches. Uh, and, and I have seen 
not all, as you, you've just explained, but a predominance of the male coaches I've worked with uh, like to be sort of the, the, the boss gung-ho and not as much listening, you know, taking the time to listen, although a lot of them are. And, and, and quite frankly, I've worked with many coaches, uh, just to name one, Rick Benben, who coached soccer, uh, indoor soccer team in Kansas City for years and collegiately for years. Rick took the time to listen to his athletes. He always was talking at them. He would listen to them. I work with many female coaches who, uh, uh, Candy Whitaker is a basketball coach at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, and Dan went to Texas Tech, who would take the, she was very strong, but she was a good listener as well. So I think that aspect can maybe, make, I think, make a female coach in some ways, maybe a little bit better than some male coaches because they will take the time to listen back. Well, and I would say to add to what you said is that coaching is about people. And people like to be heard. <laughs> they like to be listened to. That's why they people like, need to listen to this show, Nicole. They like to be cared about. And whether you're a male coach or a female coach, that's a basic human need. And if you don't listen to your athletes, you're not, you might win a lot of games, but your athletes might not have a good experience. So, so where do you see this going as we wrap up our, our segment here? Where do you see the future with female coaches, not just at the professional level, but the, you know, at the collegiate level as well? Where women, do you see more women coaching men's teams? Is that going to continue to grow and develop? And what could be the catalyst for that to get better, yet at the same time, what could be the, the obstacle for that to not grow? Well, my hope is that within my lifetime, which, you know, who knows how long that's going to be, but I would love to see a gender balance in coaching. On the men's side, I'd love to see every men's team have a female coach on staff. On the women's side, I'd love that as well, that we have gender balance on coaching staffs. You'd be surprised, but the Women College Coaching Report Card, 23% of all division one women's teams had zero females on their staff. Zero. Yeah. What's what's see. And, and here's where I feel that this is going to continue to grow. If we look at two areas related to sport, number one, athletic training and two, the uh, sports psychology aspect, which is, which of course, when I started, as I mentioned, I'm one of the first trained sports psychologists in the country. I've been in practice for 40 years. When I said when I started, nobody really heard of sports psychology before, and I've told stories about that. Um, but now we're seeing lots of female sports psychologists or mental training experts, not necessarily sports psychologists out there. Um, our field has grown to it's diversified a lot of ways. But in athletic training, you see female athletic trainers on male teams everywhere. So it's right. become very well accepted. So this could be the same type of growth, don't you think? I would hope so. And you know, I also want to make the point though that. I don't want it to seem that the pinnacle of a woman's career, whether she's a coach, an athletic trainer, or a sports psychologist, the pinnacle of a woman's career is not necessarily to be on the men's side. It's to what? It's to be the best you can be. Some people like maybe to work on the men's side, and some people prefer to work on the women's side. But there's sort of this overarching narrative if you're Cheryl Reeve and you're coaching the Minnesota Lynx to four WNBA championships, she gets asked all the time, oh, well, now are you going to go coach in the NBA? And that's offensive to her. Right. She's reached the pinnacle of her coaching career. She doesn't see a jump to the NBA as the ultimate leap. So I'm sort of saying it's a double-edged sword that I would like for men's pro sports to be giving women more opportunities and positions of power across the board. but also that we have to value women's sport 
in equal measures to men's sports. So that being a head coach on the women's side and a head coach on the men's side is equally valued. And we're far from that from happening. Listen, this has been a fascinating interview, Nicole. I want to thank you so much for joining us. So people like to get a hold of you. How can they reach you? Well, um, you can reach me at pretty much any social media. I'm on Twitter at Dr. Sports Psych, D-R, Sports Psych, uh, very similar to your handle. Um, the Tucker Center, at Tucker Center. We are on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. And uh, people can also connect with me on LinkedIn directly, um, Nicole LaVoy. So you, you can find me if you Google me. It's, I'm not too hard to find. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been really a pleasure having you. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development. Our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com radio. That's winnersunlimited.com radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com radio. Right now, our country feels divided, but there's a place where people are coming together. I gotta tell you, I was nervous to talk to someone so different than me. Me too, but I'm glad we are. Love Has No Labels and One Small Step are helping people with different political views, beliefs, and life experiences come together through conversation, and it feels good. Wow, your story is so... Uh, Interesting? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> When people actually sit down, talk, and listen to one another, they can break down boundaries and connect as human beings. At lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step, you can listen to amazing, life-changing conversations and find simple tools to start a conversation of your own. I know one thing. This conversation gives me hope. It gives me a lot of hope, too. Take a step toward bringing our country and your community together by having the courage to start a conversation at lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step. A message from StoryCorps, Love Has No Labels, and the Ad Council. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov slash plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just gotta hold on and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up. Hold my hand. <laughs> no, you hold my hand. Here we go. <laughs> Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more.
This message is brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the US Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHP. That was a fascinating interview with Dr. Lavoy. I really enjoyed that, and we'll have her on again. You know, we're talking about this whole issue of women coaching men, or men coaching women for that matter. And throughout my career, I've had the privilege of knowing a lot of people in sports, the 40 years I've worked in this field. And one of them is joining me right now. Her name's Marjorie Sherrard. She's the head coach of the Empire Swim Club here in Kansas City. I've known Marjorie since the 1980s when she was a swimmer on the University of Kansas women's swim team. By the way, coached by a man, Gary Kemp. And Marjorie coaches boys and girls. So I thought it'd be great to have her on after the interview with Dr. Lavoie and talk about that. So Marjorie, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on again. You know, uh, you and I have known each other a long time. I have the utmost respect for you. And you coach boys and girls. Mm-hmm. And you're a woman. You're coaching males. So just like Dr. Lavoie was talking about women coaching men, you're coaching males. What's, what, what is the difference between coaching boys and girls, men and women? Try not to think about that because it'd be so tempting to make overgeneralizations about one group of kids over the other. Um, so I really try and look at the individual because it would be easy to make a generalization that you know boys are more rowdy or boys are more bouncy or whatever, and that's a dangerous um, habit I think for some people to do. I try to look at the individual, figure out what their needs are, what their um, preferences are, what their communication style is, what their personality is, and go from there. So try not to get stuck in thinking, oh, it's a boy, he must need this, or oh, it's a girl, she must need this. Does that make sense? 100%. Now, you, in college, were coached by a man. Uh-huh. Okay. And, and you and I both know Gary. Gary Kempf was very direct, very, you know, to the point. All right. Uh, what was it like being coached by a male as a female swimmer? I had always been coached by men. Growing up in the summer league, I had two head coaches. One was a male, one was a female, so there was always that balance. When I was swimming club growing up in high school, I, again, had a very, very strong male coach, but it was balanced by a very strong female coach. They had different styles, different personalities, but I had that balance. And then I had an assistant coach when I was swimming for Gary at KU that I worked well with. So I've always had that balance. So for me, again, I didn't think about it so much as being male or female, just figuring out the personality of the coaches that I was working with and and trying to teach them about who I was, for better or for worse. <laughs> Why are we seeing more women now, you think, entering the male coaching uh, or the male sport realm of coaching? I, I'm not really sure why. I don't have the research to, to really answer that or quantify that anecdotally. I do think that there are more opportunities for girls growing up now maybe than there were, you know, 60, 70 years ago, I mean, like the doctor was referring to the Title IX, that has changed everything. I was a, a kid growing up during that era, you know, so I did not necessarily perceive that there weren't a lot of opportunities, and I would gravitate to a sport that worked best for me, and that opportunity was never limited. And so for me, going into coaching was just a natural extension. I never thought about it so much being male or female. I just, for me, the reason why, um, in my experience, I can't speak for everybody, that the reason why in swimming, there aren't as many female head coaches is the sports schedule from the club perspective is very unfamily friendly. The schedule is tough. When my kids were little, I stayed home with them and I coached in the evenings. And as soon as our eldest went to school, I could not 
could not see that I'd be home all day long working in the office, and then when our children were home at night, I'd be off with everybody else's child. So the schedule was very unfamily-friendly, and as soon as our kids were older and our eldest went off to college, that was my chance to get back into club coaching full-time. So that, to me, the schedule more than the male-female part was the, the bigger challenge for me personally. Okay, let me ask you this question, Marjorie. Mental toughness. You know, we talk about physical toughness, we talk about mental toughness. Um, do you think it's more difficult for a woman, and this is not you, but I'm talking about in general, do you think it's more difficult for a woman to teach mental toughness than a man? A, a, a man? Do you think that's 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 part of the problem? Because we talk about toughness, think about you know physical strength. Do you see it that way? I, of course, I don't. But but do you think that's been maybe a part of the problem? That I don't know. I mean, for me, absolutely not. I mean, I teach age groupers, and so I'm always trying to connect the three things: the the physical, meaning the the training, the the technique. And then the mental, as far as the race preparation, understanding what they're supposed to do, and then the emotional, knowing themselves and knowing what they need to do to prepare themselves before a race and how to tap into that and to find that quote-unquote focus while they're racing. So for me, again, that was not necessarily female or male-dominated. It was more me being in tune to what it takes as an athlete and then understanding how to translate that and how to learn about it to teach that to kids. So I did not feel like I was... um, better equipped or, or or less equipped because I was, you know, female or not male. I just, to me, it's more about the individual and the skills they bring to the table. And I felt like male and female, I had coaches who were able to do that for me as an athlete. So when I'm listening to you, the word that pops in my mind is respect. Yes. And it, it really shouldn't matter if you're male or female coaching the opposite sex. It's the respect that you get from that, that, that athlete. If the athlete respects you for your knowledge, your 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 expertise, that's really what it should come down to, correct? That and trust. I mean, if I can earn someone's trust, then that's key because they're going to let me help them and let me help steer them. If I don't gain their respect and their trust, it doesn't matter how much I know. Okay, let's let's explore so, that for a minute. How do you get an athlete to trust you better? Um, I have to, well, one of the things that we, is one of the hallmarks of our team is we try really hard to teach character because we feel like that's going to serve them much longer than their athletic endeavors. And that's really our goal. So, for instance, a small way that I can teach them that. They need to know it's okay to make mistakes. So when I make a mistake, if it's something as goofy as, you know, I said the wrong thing at practice as far as, like, oh, you know, go on the top or go on the 10, I'm very quick to say, oops, sorry, my mistake, my mistake. So they hear me say all the time, my mistake. And so my message is, if I'm okay with making mistakes, then it's okay for you to make mistakes. And that is such an easy building block from there because they are going to make mistakes. I am going to make mistakes. But if we can work through that together, and if I can introduce that in tiny ways, like, oops, I said go on the wrong number, or I said the interval incorrectly, and I'm going to correct it. So I can teach them that in really tiny little ways. And then and make it okay for them to acknowledge, oops, I made a mistake, or, you know, I said the wrong thing to a teammate. And we correct it, because it's okay to make mistakes, but we, we go back and correct them and own them. To me, that's a basic building block of trust and respect. So... Building trust, gaining respect, is perhaps one of the most important components based on your knowledge, your experience, your expertise. So it really should have nothing to do if you're the opposite sex coaching someone, should it? That, in my opinion, no. And, not, and I mean, to me, I no, I think, it, I think that's really it, trust and respect. And if I have the knowledge to help them get where they want to get, it doesn't matter um, 
if I'm male or female, in my experience. And I responded very well to male and female coaches. Again, it was how I was able to relate with them and how they were able to relate back to me. In the last couple of minutes we've got here, have you ever had or have you ever experienced from others an issue because you're a female coaching a male? I actually went to a women's coaching conference several years ago, and that very question was asked. And I remember thinking everybody in the room had said yes, they had felt like they had been limited or underestimated. And I simply don't perceive the world that way, for better or for worse. I always have had the attitude of someone um, didn't respond to me or whatever. It had more to do with um, maybe a personality. I've never really thought about it being limited by being – I just don't perceive the world that way. Um, whether I've been limited because I was a, a, a female. I'm sure if I really thought about it, maybe that's, that's happened. I just don't perceive it that way. One of my challenges um, is I'm an age group coach. I tend to coach 14 and unders. And so most head coaches in club swimming are the coaches who coach the older high school, senior, and national level athletes. So our team is a little bit different because I'm the head coach and yet I coach age groupers. So again, for me, it wasn't so much in my estimation that there were lack of opportunities or um, or I was female. I am an age group coach, and the, the more typical model in club coaching is that the head coach coaches the senior or the national level athletes. So we, and, and our model is not um, unique, it's just not the more common model for club swimming. Where do you see the future of, of women, before we wrap things up here, where do you see the future of women coaching men going? Unlimited. I think it's really interesting, and I think that's right. I actually was watching an interview with the um, general manager in baseball, and, and she's right. I mean, she was given, it does take a partnership between men and women for people to be given opportunities both ways. Um, you know, men have to be willing to hire women, and women have to be open to hiring men. If you're a head coach and you're a female, um, I'm all for giving people opportunities that shouldn't be dominated by male or female you find the most qualified candidate marjorie any we got to wrap it up listen this has been a great fascinating interview as always people want to reach you how can they get a hold of you i am at coach marjorie at ekclions.com and you can google empire kc swim club and find me there listen my friend thanks for joining us today great comments great great feedback i appreciate it i'm sports psychologist dr andrew jacobs this is the sports psychology hour we're podcasted all over the place Check out my website, winnersunlimited.com. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next week on Mother's Day. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development, our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com slash radio. That's winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com slash radio.
If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its Pre-Diabetes Awareness Partners.